Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, so at the top in this hour, we'll talk a bit about the, the news that has come out in recent days involving the uh, Trump administration. Uh, certainly today, some big news concerning the travel ban, which was brought in rather quickly by the new president. They found themselves in court on the losing end of a couple of court decisions. And rather than continue fighting in court, as the president had suggested, they've decided to come back with a revised travel ban. Most notably, it goes from seven to six countries, as now Iraq has been dropped uh, from those countries. So it remains to be seen how different this really is and uh, whether this will hold up in court, whereas the, the previous executive order did not. But look, certainly it's something that the Trump had promised to do, and I know there was a real emphasis initially to act quickly on that issue. But is this needed? So I do want to talk about that, but maybe that's overshadowing what's happened in the last few days. Now, of course, late last week, we had the whole situation involving Trump's attorney general and revelations about his meetings with the Russian ambassador that seemed to conflict with his testimony at his confirmation hearings, which led to him recusing himself from any further investigations into this matter. Now, it got really weird over the weekend, though, when the president took to Twitter, no less, to allege that his predecessor had engaged in illegal activity targeting him, that his phones were wiretapped at the behest of Obama, and he was very definitive that it happened and that it was illegal behavior. But is that the case? Certainly, there have been stories about FBI investigations into Russian officials, and there have even been some stories suggesting that the FBI sought warrants to target American citizens who may have had contact with Russian officials. And that perhaps those American citizens were connected to the Trump campaign. Obviously, with the resignation of National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, previous resignations by campaign officials Paul Manafort, Carter Page, uh, there's a Russia problem here for the Trump campaign. But to suggest, though, that Obama illegally ordered wiretaps for political reasons, well, that would surely be scandalous, no doubt. But did it happen? Where's his evidence? He's the president. He's got access to these warrants or access to classified information. He can certainly declassify that, make it available for all to see. But instead, he's asked Congress to investigate to see whether this happened, even though he says that it did. All right, so joining us to talk about all of this, very pleased to welcome the program here today, uh, Tom Nichols. He's a professor at the Naval War College. He's a former U.S. Senate age, also a senior contributor at The Federalist. And he's author of the book, The Death of Expertise, The Campaign Against Established Knowledge and Why It Matters. Tom, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Rob. Uh, well, look, a lot to talk about here. It's been a really fascinating week uh, involving the, the new administration. Regarding the, the revised travel ban, now you've made the argument that this represents a, a climb down uh, on Trump's part. What do you make of it? 
Well, as always, I just represent my own view uh, and not the government's, Rob, but I, I do see it as a climb down. Um, the last thing that the president said was, we'll see you in court. Now we have a new travel ban uh, after saying that the bad guys can't be warned when there's going to be a ban. This doesn't go into effect for another 90 days. It takes Iraq off the list. It's now uh, nationals from six countries instead of seven. Uh, I think the problem is that the administration had painted itself into the corner of saying, we will do this on day one without really being ready to do it on day one. And so that first executive order uh, didn't fly very well and obviously was challenged in court. So I think this is another try at fulfilling a campaign promise, but I'm not sure really how, how much real world impact it's going to have uh, because it also cleans up the whole issue of permanent residents and people with visas and people that were already in the pipeline and so on. It may well be that there are issues in the, in the system uh, and that the president would want to, to review that and, and see where that could be improved. But, but do you see that there's uh, any urgency to this approach or that this is necessary? Well, my, my personal view is that there isn't. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is that um, the, the ban doesn't actually cover people who have actually engaged in terrorism in the United States. Uh, again, I think it was something that the president said when he was a candidate. He said it over and over again on the campaign trail and then found himself in office, um, I think, unexpectedly. I think that's a big part of a lot of what's happened in this first few months of the administration is that people who really didn't expect to be there are suddenly forced with the burden of governing. And, um, I, and I think now they're just trying to keep that box checked to say that, yes, we really are doing something about immigration. And do you think that this is, well, I mean, look, they, they said that something new is coming, so I guess they telegraphed this a little bit, but do you see it also as an attempt to uh, kind of refocus here and turn the page from the, the uh, allegations and, and the scandal from the past week? Well, it, it could be, although this administration is not good at staying on message, as we found. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the president had a pretty good night during that address to Congress, and then it all got blown up over the next few days with allegations about wiretapping and all kinds of stuff that even his own spokesman uh, didn't seem very comfortable trying to explain. Uh, so it could be an attempt to, to move the conversation away from Russia and onto immigration. But as is always the case with this White House, who knows how long that will last before the next uh, news story or tweet. Well, it was quite an outburst, uh, certainly from the president. I mean, it seems surprising in a way that if they, they want to get away from, from the Russia allegations, that, that certainly what he tweeted and what he's alleging now shines a spotlight right back on that issue, doesn't it? Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. I, I will. Can, and again, my own view is that I, I can't understand how if you're trying to get the spotlight off of Russia, kind of double dog daring the Congress to investigate who on your campaign may have been subject to a federal uh, warrant for wiretapping to me doesn't seem to be the way to go. But, um, you know, I, there's a lot of things in here that I I don't, as a former political guy, I don't recognize the strategy, but maybe there's some kind of method behind it. Doesn't it seem contradictory, as I think some others have pointed out, that the, the president has alleged that something happened. Now he's asking Congress to investigate whether that thing that he just alleged is true. Yeah. And the problem is, I think, if the reports of how the president got onto this story are true. Um, people like Breitbart and Levin and the, the other folks that were pushing it really didn't have any way of knowing whether it was true. They just kind of threw it out there to churn the waters to say, uh, we need to know if this happened. And now it's becoming, we need to investigate what happened. Um, but, I, you know, again, investigations, if I were 
Um, if I were in a White House, the last thing I'd be doing is walking around daring Congress to open investigations because those are unpredictable and they tend to eat up your agenda and time that you'd rather be devoting to other things. But uh, I candidly admit I just don't get it. And I mean, it's, look, it seems plausible that maybe the Democrats uh, were, were digging for dirt on candidate Trump during the election campaign. But does it seem plausible at all to you that, that the Obama White House would order him to be wiretapped? No. And that's the I mean, it, it's plausible that to me anyway, that the um, that law enforcement may have wanted to look into connections between people on the Trump campaign in Russia. That's a different issue. But to argue that the sitting president would engage in the most daring violation of law since Watergate for a campaign, by the way, that everybody thought Trump was already well on the way to losing right. makes no sense. Um, you know, when Hillary Clinton was running 10 points ahead, it just it doesn't make any sense that Barack Obama is going to get way out on a ledge and say, let's do something incredibly illegal uh, just to make sure this this thing happens, because I think everybody was expecting Trump to lose. So to me, the the idea that Obama ordered this um, and, you know, anything could come out, but I doubt it. Um, the idea that Barack Obama ordered this just kind of flunk some basic logic tests. Uh, but that's a different question than whether or not there were warrants issued to look into other people who had connections to Russia. There, there's two different questions there. Right. Maybe th- those lines are being blurred, but certainly we, we've heard stories that the FBI and the intelligence community were, were keeping tabs on certain Russian officials. And if those Russian officials were having conversations with American citizens, well, those conversations are going to be noted. Yeah. And, you know, as ambassador, our, our former ambassador to Russia, Mike McFall, pointed out, it's not illegal to talk to Russians. And it shouldn't be. Uh, so, you know, there's there's another mystery behind this is why people are overreacting to this so strongly within the administration. I mean, um, it's, you know, people in, if you're a prominent person in Washington and you haven't spoken to the Russian ambassador, then you're not really an A-lister. Uh, but this, as you point out, this melding of the two issues, were there people on the in the campaign or on the fringes of the campaign being looked into? And did the sitting president order the bugging of you know, the, of a, an actual presidential contender. Those are two, th- those, those two questions live in two entirely different universes. Right. And the, the suggestions then about collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia's, is that still in the realm of, of conspiratorial thinking? Or are we starting to, to inch in that direction? Well, I think part of the problem is that people watch too much TV. And so when you hear that the FBI is looking into these kinds of links, you, you immediately have the kind of television version of, you know, the ambassador to Russia leaving a suitcase of money behind a fire hydrant in Georgetown somewhere. And yeah. I, I, I think, you know, the way that these things happen between the Russians and Americans is much more subtle than that. It's about, um, you know, are there conversations with people about issues that you shouldn't have been having? Or, um, you know, do you have an inappropriate financial relationship with any kind of Russian entities? Those are legitimate questions. It's, but I think it's important to, to reaffirm that, you know, just talking to the Russian ambassador is not a crime. And uh, nobody would be looking into that if this is all there were. On the other hand, I doubt, and again, in this crazy political season, I, I don't, I could be wrong. I doubt that anybody's going to find, you know, video of, uh, of suitcases full of cash being, you know, put in dumpsters somewhere in Washington. Right. Uh, let's touch on the book, because I, I think it's it's getting a lot more attention in, in view of, of Trump's win. And uh, certainly you were a, a notable never Trump conservative uh, during the, the election campaign. But it doesn't seem as though the book was motivated necessarily directly by the Trump candidacy. But where, where's the overlap? 
It really wasn't. I mean, I actually, the book had its genesis in a piece I wrote about three years ago, uh, long before uh, the president and his campaign were on the horizon. And uh, the book intertwines, though, with this political season because I think the Trump campaign made a, made a very successful appeal to the American voter to say, ignore experts. Your gut feeling about everything is better than what any expert can tell you. If you think unemployment is 42 percent, then it's 42 percent. If you think that, you know, uh, terrorists are streaming across the border uh, with their you know machetes in hand, then it's true that terrorists are streaming across the border. And experts, as I argue in the book, experts are the people that are supposed to tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. And the American people were in no mood to hear any of that. They wanted to hear that their gut feelings, the things that they picked up from too much talk radio, too much uh, television, uh, too much uh, echo chambering on Facebook and Twitter, that all the things they believed were true. And the president played to that masterfully, I, I, I think. And um, although the book wasn't about that, it, it definitely speaks to that phenomenon. So the roots of this go back much further. And why do you think this started to be the case then? Well, I trace the roots of this back a good 40 years at least. I think part of it is that we've created a very affluent and indulgent culture that, and the word that I use regularly through the book is that we've created a culture of narcissism. This is something that Christopher Lash in a book noted over 40 years ago, and I think we're paying the price for it now, that Americans have become deeply narcissistic. Uh, I would argue that that actually is true uh, in Canada and Europe. It's a developed world problem. And that our educational institutions play to that. The segmenting of the media along political lines play to that. The availability of information on the Internet as a way of generating all the stuff you'd ever want for your confirmation bias, for your own internal uh, views, plays to that. And it's kind of a perfect storm of ignorance now where people are free to believe the things they want to believe. They resent ever being told they're wrong. And if they want to go out and find material to prove that they're right, it's right there at their fingertips on, on a keyboard. So not only can I feel better about myself if I can convince myself that I, I know as much, if not more, than experts, there's also that confirmation bias that I can disregard that evidence because what do those, what do those eggheads know? Exactly. Uh, when I... Uh, in the book, I talk about how the doctors got it wrong about eggs. Now, you know, this I took that one personally because I really like eggs. And mm -hmm. so for a long time, I didn't eat them. Um, but, you know, just because doctors didn't quite understand the mechanism of how human beings metabolize eggs doesn't mean that you're off the hook and you can eat a bacon cheeseburger for breakfast any morning. Uh, doctors are still more likely to be right about your health than you are. Um, you know, professionals are, it's not that I, and I actually devote a whole chapter to when experts are wrong. And I, I don't say that experts can never be wrong. I just say that they're more likely to be right than, than lay people are. And even that limited claim really makes people angry because they just don't want to believe it because they do want to disregard that advice. I guess the discouraging thing is that this, this isn't likely to, to turn itself around anytime soon. No. And I, I tried to be optimistic and, um, I failed. But I, I hope it can turn around. I hope that a, a greater debate about this because of the election, because of problems about people who reject vaccines and issues about global warming and other debates, I hope it can turn it around. But my biggest fear is that the only way that this is going to end is that people will come back to respecting expertise in the wake of some kind of a disaster, uh, a Great Depression, a war, um, 
uh, pandemic. You know, we all, I've said many times, as I say in the book, we all, are, we all are happy to argue with our doctors until our fever hits 102, and then suddenly we start rediscovering the importance of medical school. And I hope that it doesn't come to that, but I suspect that that's where we'll have to go first before we start reversing this trend. Well, that book is called The Death of Expertise. Tom Nichols, uh, really appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here today. Thank you for having me. All right, there you go. That's uh, Tom Nichols, uh, professor at the uh, Naval War College, also the Harvard Extension School. He's a uh, senior contributor at The Federalist. His book, The Death of Expertise. And hey, also, he's a five-time Jeopardy champ. No kidding. Look it up. All right, 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.